Sales Tuners, Episode 39, Keenan, CEO of A Sales Guy. Everybody talks about being the best. No, fuck the best. You don't get to be the best. And everybody talks about hustle and grind and the way to success is to work your ass off. Yeah, it is, but that is really not about hustle and grind. There is one real surefire way to be successful. One. And that's being better than most people. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Rosa Luxemburg, who said, those who don't move do not notice their chains. Joining me today is Keenan. Yes, just the single name. He's the CEO and self-proclaimed chief antagonist of the sales consultancy, A Sales Guy. Keenan has been selling something to someone for his entire life. He's been teaching and coaching almost as long. And with more than 20 years of sales experience, which he'll tell you he doesn't give a shit about, Keenan has been influencing, learning from, and shaping the world of sales for a long time. Finder of the elephant in the room, Keenan calls it as he sees it and lets nothing or no one go unnoticed. That said, just a heads up, this is the first episode that has received the explicit tag in iTunes. So if you're offended by some colorful language, you might want to hit stop on this one now. A quick shout out this week before we dive in to iTunes reviewer F underscore Dale, who wrote, this is a great podcast for anyone that wants to understand and improve at the art and science of selling. Jim is a pro's pro, and that's obvious in the way he connects with his guest. The conversations move easily from theoretical practical applications that sales leaders and salespeople can put to work immediately. His guests are top tier sales leaders, and that's demonstrated by the quality of the practical advice they provide. I really, really appreciate that, and I'm honored you took the time to leave it. I've mentioned before on the show that iTunes reviews are the number one way that we reach a larger audience, and I'd be eternally grateful if you took a second to leave one yourself. Right now, we have 34 ratings and 30 reviews. If we can get to 50 reviews by the end of June, I will give five reviewers the sales book of their choice. That's right. I'll buy one on Amazon and have it shipped directly to you. And to make this as easy as possible, just go to salestuners.com slash review, and you'll be redirected to our page in iTunes. All right, make sure you stick around until the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 39. But now, let's get to the conversation, where Keenan talks to me about being adopted, and where the Prince-like single-name moniker came from. Well, you know, it's funny. I- Oh man, there's so many ways to go with this. The bottom line is Jim is boring for starters, right? Which which in itself is odd because my uh, the the medium sized story is when I was a little boy in 1968. I know I'm fucking old. Um, I was adopted by a family out of Massachusetts, and so they named me Matthew. And then when I was about I don't know what how old are you in third grade like like eight or nine. I asked them why nobody called me Jim anymore, and they were like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "They used to call me Jim," and they found out or knew but never told me that in the uh i don't know can't call it orphanage but in the adoption agency because i was a baby when i was adopted i was eight months old they had called me jim and i actually remembered this so then i said i want to be called jim for now on so i 
changed my name from Matthew to Jim. Then as I got older and I got went through college and everything, all my buddies called me Keenan most of the time and and Jim became boring. And so then when I got into had a public persona on internet and everything like that, Jim was just so boring. I was most people called me Keenan anyways. So I just I just took that and I just solidified it and it just ran with itself after that. Well, being a gym myself, I, I totally get it. And I refuse. I know I'm a junior and I refuse to name my son the third because I did not Amen. want him to have another boring name. So I'm with you. I love it. All right. So you got to tell me about this one, too. I have read that when you were 11 years old, you convinced your mom that you were mature enough to hang Playboy pictures on your wall. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. I swear to God. And, you know, it's funny. I, I always try to figure out how I got influenced to do that. But so this would be 1978, 1979, right in there. So, you know, that was the whole disco era. You know, sex was sort of a loose thing as it was. Saturday Night Fever was super popular. And I had a cousin who was oh, 18 or 19 at the time. And I went to his house one day, this family reunion. He had black lights on his wall. Like his room was, as they were saying, though, this groovy. It was, it was hip. It was cool. And so I want to do the same thing. I don't even remember where I got these Playboy pictures, but I had the black lights and the velvet pictures and I wanted the Playboy pictures too. And I was like, mom is not going to let this happen. So I got to come up with an approach. So what I did was I thought about my mom. I didn't think about what I wanted. I thought about what my mom's perspective was going to be. I thought about how my mom was going to look at it. And her big thing in the, in the seventies, which was really starting to grow was this idea of independence of children and letting children have a personality of their own and, you know, letting them grow into the people who they are. So that's the tact I took. I said, mom, I'm getting older. I, I want to be my own man. I'm, I'm old enough to make my own choices. And I figured out how else I did it, but I made it, I channeled, into her belief system and and i and she bought it which blew me fucking away (laughs) that's incredible that is so incredible oh my goodness all right so keenan so as you know in this show we talk about the behaviors attitudes and techniques that have led to your success you've just spilled the beans on quite a few of them but um as you think about today right and we'll, we'll flash back but as you think about today what is a sales guy and how does someone decide to buy from you so our sales guy, the company, yes. So we're a sales consulting and recruiting firm. Um, we have we're, we have a contingency recruiting division, which pretty much everybody understands. We'll recruit for you on a contingency and you hire our people. Great. Well, you pay us. If not, don't worry about it. So that's easy to understand. The other part is the consulting business, which is less easy to understand because most people want to put you in the training box. We're literally a sales consultancy. Organizations bring us in when their sales numbers are not where they want to be or they're scaling or they're there's slow growth because they're having difficult going from 5 million to 10 million to 10 million to 50 million to 50 to 100 or, or beyond. They bring us in and say, okay, help us fix this. And the way we do it is we, we have a, a methodology that's strategy, structure, people, or process. And we will go in and work with the CEO or the CRO and we will evaluate and assess those four pillars, strategy, sales strategy, sales structure, the salespeople and the sales process to figure out where the mistakes are, where the issues are, and we will fix them and get that growth that they were looking for. I like that. I like that. So how does someone actually procure that process? What, are the, what does it look like for you to bring on a new customer today? So it, in the consulting side, um, it o- always starts with a conversation about their business. And it's really interesting you ask me this question right now. I have an existing customer that went through some changes and there were some new people involved. And so because of those changes, our engagement stopped. But but the person who originally brought me in wants me back in. So they it put me in touch with the new buyer. We'll go with that. Well, this new buyer is old school. 
all they kept doing was peppering me with questions about my business. How do you do this and why this and why should I go with you? And I finally stopped and said, listen, the way that we do this is I need to understand what you're doing. Where are you in the sales organization? What are your plans? What are your goals? What are you struggling with? I need to have a conversation because without that conversation, I don't think I can provide you any more value than saying, yeah, I'm in Forbes and yeah, we've got Intel as a client or we've got, you know, Verizon as a client or whatever, which none of it works. And he wouldn't do it. And so I was like, I don't know that this is going to get anywhere. And I think that's the most important piece. So when we have successful engagements, they always start with, hey, Keenan, we're having this problem. And I'm going to say, all right, let's take half hour, 45 minutes to talk about it. I dig deep, ask lots of questions. I've been there before. I know what questions to ask. I know where to look in those four pillars, right? And out of that, then I say, you know what? I think really all you need to focus on is a little training. You're great. Or no, you know what? Here are the key problems I see. And I think this is not, I think this is where I can help you. And let's talk about what that looks like. Got it. I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes. I, I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm in the same uh, world that you are. And my goodness, when you get passed along and someone only wants to talk about what it is that you do, it's like, you, you've missed the point. I'm probably just going to tell yes. you no and, and move on. So let's, let, yes. we'll, we'll come back to today. I promise, but let's go way back. How did you even get into sales? Um, so is a profession um, so this is a chuckle. I wish I had a picture. Well, this is, I guess it doesn't matter because it's a radio. So many moons ago when I was about, well, I guess it was the same weight, but I was 2% body fat, had all my hair. I was about 28, 27. I modeled. And so I modeled for Tommy Hilfiger and Coca-Cola and Eastern Mountain Sports and, you know, all over the place. Um, and I was in Miami trying to take my career modeling career to the next level it's it's modeling is very similar to like major league baseball there are small markets then medium markets then big markets and then the supermarkets right like the the you know the what we'll call the all-star of the baseball of baseball right so miami is like the triple a right it's it's not quite new york or paris but it's where a lot of those people go in the off season and you get really good work so i was in miami trying to grow that. And I'd been there like three or four months and a buddy called me up and he said, Keenan, you got to come home. And I'm like, why? Uh, and I see, he goes, I got a job for you and, uh, it's time for you to get, get serious. And, um, it'll pay you $50,000 a year and, uh, it's yours. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I was sitting there doing the math in my head and I said, well, if I make it, if I make it modeling as a male, I might make three, dollars $500,000 a year. I was never going to be the next Tyson Beckford. I knew that. So I took a million dollars off the table. But I said, if I can get in the mainstream, I can make three, dollars $400,000 a year. If I, but then it's over four, five, six, seven years max, and then it's over. But if I go back and I kick ass in sales and I kick ass in business, I can make three, dollars $500,000 for the rest of my life. And so I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going home. So I went back, took that job at the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, selling chamber memberships no way 500 bucks yeah it's 500 bucks a piece i killed it i i broke every record they had i was kicking the shit out of people been there four or five years i mean the whole chamber was like who is this guy where did he come from i was killing it and within one year later i was hired by one of the people i sold a membership to to sell it consulting services and went from making fifty thousand a year to 150 thousand a year and then three years after that I was then working for another client that I had sold in that IT consulting gig as vice president of sales on an IT tele, I mean, at a telecom company managing $300 million in revenue, had 150 sales reps across the country. Wow. But you knew nothing about IT. You knew nothing about uh, technology at that point. How did you, how did you start to break through? 
knew how to sell. And so anybody listening, and I know this is for young people who are only been selling for a few years. So, but if you're a hiring manager or you're a CRO, listen to me carefully and get your head out of your ass. It doesn't matter if the person doesn't understand your product, your industry, your service, well, your service. They have to know how to sell. You can teach the rest of that shit. And so I could sell. That was the bottom line. I could sell like nobody's business. Well, I you 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 got me believing that just from uh, talking to you now. But uh, you wrote a post recently that talked about something very similar and to say, hey, quit selling the technical problem, sell the business problem. And and I've heard that phrase a lot. And and you even used in the, in your in your uh, writing, easy enough, right? But you know it's not. And everyone tells us that. Everyone thinks they know how to do that, but they don't. Why is that? Oh, dude, I, this is probably a short answer. I don't know. I don't know why. I, maybe it could be how we define the technical problem. Maybe it's because the majority of the information, the majority of the training in the information when somebody gets into a company is company focused and product focused and technical focused. Um, I, I, maybe because people who get into sales aren't very, don't have very, very business savvy. So I have the business acumen. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is because it was natural to me. Like when I sold to my mom, look in 1979, I don't think anybody knew, you know, what have any of the words, what we have now. So the idea that I was selling to my mom's, you know, value proposition, no, I guess that'd be my telling to my mother's, um, buy intrinsic motivations or buying needs. I didn't know that. All I knew is I can't worry about me. She has to make the decision. So I have to get her to make it for her. Right. And that was just innate to me. So I don't know why other people don't do that. I, I don't know. I feel like in previous years, and I'm talking 20 years ago plus, when the IBMs and the Microsofts were the, the big dogs and, and Oracles and things like that, they had true sales training systems in place that you didn't carry a bag and you didn't talk to a customer until you actually knew how to sell. But those days are, are long gone. Why is it that companies now are just teaching their product and their technical expertise as opposed to teaching people how to sell? Because people don't know how to sell today. You know, I, I haven't seen those programs, so I, I'm going to put a big asterisk against there. And if somebody has gone through them or whatever and, and can objectively, you know, give me more information and not defend them, I'm open to it. But I'm not convinced back in those days that those people taught people how to sell. I think they taught them how to sell a product. So I think there would be more buyer-centric selling uh, methods in those than other people. But generally speaking, I still think they were all focused around the product. Here's our product. This is how you position it. Here's the features. This is how you sell them. I'm, I'm convinced there wasn't deep discovery. I'm convinced there wasn't the assessment of current state. I'm convinced there wasn't, I'm forcing people to understand the impact of the current environment on the current buyer and what would happen if you removed the impact, right? I'm convinced there was nothing, no discussion about um, how, um, uh, why the current problems existed, right? I'm convinced none of that was there. It was all product centric and came out and it needs, it needed to flip. Interesting. Okay. Well, so I, I, today I think that, you know, again, in the large companies, there's this new movement towards, they call it sales enablement. I've had a few of those uh, folks on the show here today or not today, but in, in the past. And and they're the ones now are trying to do what you're talking about, the positioning of the product. And still, I feel like there's just salespeople out there. And I, and I think, and maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but I feel like there's been this big movement of all this explosion of technology companies, 
But along with yes. this, this explosion of tech companies has not come an explosion of sales talent. So we're going out and finding people who have never sold before, really don't have any business acumen and giving them some product training saying, okay, go, go about your way. And then we're surprised when yes. they don't hit their numbers. Nailed it. Nothing more to say there. You're absolutely correct. But, absolutely correct. But what the hell? I mean, that that doesn't scale. And that's I, th I feel like we're setting ourselves up for a huge bit of failure in the next couple of years. I don't know about that, because I think what's going to happen like anything else, the market's going to correct. And, you know, you see people, really smart people who, you know, with Miller Hyman, they're almost all training and people are buying that training and they're teaching them how to sell. I, um, you know, you have people like John Barrows, who I love and respect, and he's out there teaching people how to sell. You get people like Jill Conrath, who in her snap selling, which nailed it, value-based selling was, I mean, she nailed, I, I recommend that book to people all the time. Um, that's teaching them how to sell. So I, I, I think it's, it's going to self-correct in those people who aren't doing it. And it's just, you know, we're just going to have to grin and bear it for a while. I feel like though, if, if we could learn from a book and, and obviously I know you mentioned some great people, John Barrows has been on the show. I love him as well. But if people could learn how to sell from a book, Really, if people could learn anything from a book, we would all have flat abs and, and white teeth, but that's just not the case. We need that. No, 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 this is brilliant. No, no. Most people can learn from a book, and I get it. I don't want to get into some long discussion about people's learning styles and blah, blah, blah. But people can learn enough from a book. It's not about learning. It's about applying. It's about applying. You and I can get in. We can learn how to get flat abs from a book, and we know exactly how to do it. We could pass a test. The question, the problem is you and I don't get out and execute it. It's an execution problem. This isn't a learning problem. Keep going with it. I, I like where you're going. Uh, it, look, it, it, I have a coaching methodology that a sales guy that, that, that I'm really proud of that we use a lot that I actually um, modified from my skiing. And it's called observe, describe, prescribe, absorb, and apply. The, the observe, describe, prescribe is the responsibility of the coach. I need to watch Jim Brown do his job. I need to describe to him what I saw him doing. I need to prescribe an alternative approach or method. The absorb and apply is the coachee's responsibility. Can I absorb what I just learned or what I heard? I, yeah, I'm reading Jill Conrad's book. Am I absorbing it? Does it make sense? Do I understand what she's saying? Do I understand the nuances in the context? Then can I actually apply what I just absorbed? You cannot put those two together. People, the light will go off. Oh, I get it. And then go do it. Oh, I can't do that. I like in skiing. Oh, I get it. You want me to go from foot to foot? Yes. Try it. They can't do it. They can't do it. They literally can't do it. They know what they're supposed to do, but they can't do it. Those are separate. And that's what's here. I don't think we have an absorption problem. I think we have an application problem. Interesting. Okay. Whose job is that then to do the application? Is that the salesperson or is that the sales manager, the coach, if you will? It's both, right? So I give it to, uh, so if we have a coach involved, if it's the, okay, it's always at the end of the day, the individuals, because if you don't have a coach, or you have a shitty coach, you still have to be responsible for getting yourself to where you need to get. But in a good environment where you have both and they're both participating, it's both because in that the model I described to you at the end of apply is it's a circle that goes right back to observe, right? So I observed you doing something. I, I described what I saw you do. I gave you something new to do. You said you got it. You tried to apply it. I watched, observed you try to apply it. I described what I saw the second time. I uh, prescribed how to fix what you missed or how you had trouble. You absorbed that. You applied it again. I watched. I, and it's that circle. It's that circle. So it's both of you. Okay. So, one, uh, Keenan, I'm going to – slightly different topic, but it's very uh, much in parallel. 
you did a um, a presentation at Dreamforce last year, and one of the quotes that came out of that was nobody brags about developing somebody. So that kind of puts it back on on the coach. But but wh- where are we with that? So my point with that was, I think it's a culture. I was attacking the cultural elements of sales because sales is is always been. I'm, look, I'm a competitor, and I don't. I'm just the same. Is this idea of we brag about the numbers? I did 120 percent of quota. I did 200 percent of quota. I closed the biggest deal. You heard me say it earlier. I broke all the records, right? That's been our, our like, you know, our, our badge, right? Our super capes, our definition, who's a badass and who isn't. But when it comes, it, it, it funnels all the way up to leadership, right? I run a $300 million line of business and I built quota, beat quota by, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I grew the business by blah, blah, blah. That's great. But no one sits and says, oh yeah, are you kidding me? I, I love what I do. I'm phenomenal at it. I developed four of the five guys that started working into my organization. Now are running different divisions elsewhere. You know, one of the guys that worked for me, he's now over at XYZ kicking my butt from a competitive perspective, right? No one talks like that. No one gets excited and brags about the people they developed, yet that's the true definition of a sales leader. That's the true definition of being good at co- sales coaching and development. I like that a lot. One of the things that I I work hard on is my goal is not just to lead people, but it is to train other people to become leaders of people. And when I can do that, that's when I know I've hit my success. So you wrote a whole book about this. It's called Not Taught What It Takes to Be Successful in 21st Century No One Is Teaching You. And it's kind of a provocative headline, but tell me about how that came to be. Well, of course it's provocative. It's what I do. People, <laughs> you, you got to be provocative these days, man. Everybody's getting bombarded with all kinds of shit. You got to find your way through it all. Um, so it, the medium, the, the quick and dirty version is a friend of mine asked me to speak. He's a adjunct professor at DU. He asked me to come in and speak to one of his graduate classes. I said about what? He says what they should know when they get out of college, when they graduate. And this is back in 2000, I don't know, 2012, I guess. We'll go with that. And I was like, all right, I can do that. So I sat down and I started writing it down and I started really giving it some thought. And all of a sudden, as I was finishing, I was like, whoa, this is completely different than when I graduated in 1990, completely different. And so, so I gave it and then, then it hit me. It was just those 12 bullets or 13 bullets. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a cool blog post. And I wrote the blog post. I said, this would be a cool book. If I expand on each of these topics to, you know, 2,000 words each, I got myself a, you know, a 200-page book. So I said, screw it. And that's what I did. And that's where it came from. What's been the reaction to this book? I've, I've read a little bit of it. But what's been the reaction as you uh, get out there and talk to people about it? With about 99, well, it was about 95% um, uh, accuracy, I guess. And 95% of the people absolutely love it. Like I've had heads of TV stations call me and have me speak to their entire, um, uh, staff at a rate at a TV station. I've had, um, people who, uh, sat next to me on a plane. I gave it to them free, call me back and asked me to come in and talk to their whole organization. Uh, it's been off the charts. I think if anything, my only disappointment is I've been able to break through. So if you buy into the whole, um, tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. I either haven't gotten in front of enough connectors yet or to the right mavens because the response for the, it's like a little cult. Everybody who's read it and is is involved in it absolutely loves it. And they breathe it and and eat it. And they're like, you know, little culties, but I haven't been able to get it past that to the point of selling, you know, hundreds of thousands and tens of thousands of copies, which is my only disappointment because it helps so many people. 
we'll, we'll do a little bit of uh, uh, help with that today. We'll get some more people to, to buy that book and get on it. But let's do it this way. So I, I have I feel like I have a pretty good pulse of my audience and I'm hearing them right now saying, look, this Keenan guy, he's so energetic. He's got so much motivation behind him. That's not me. I, I can't do that. I can't be him. I can't sell the way he sells. So what do you have to say to people like that? There are, okay, you put two things in there that I want to make sure I pull apart in a heartbeat, right? First up, you don't need to be me. You need to be you, right? That's the first and foremost. So whatever makes you energetic, whatever makes you passionate, whatever gets you going, you need to find that. And, and that's different for everybody. So if you're in sales and you're just slogging along because sales books bore you and because, you know, listening to a sales podcast bores you, but you're listening because you feel like you got nothing better to do, then stop selling. Go do something else because sales is not your thing, right? So, so that's the first thing. You got to love what you do. You got a passion for what you do because if you don't, nothing else is going to happen. And, and don't be me and don't be Jim Brown and don't be us. Be you. Build the you that you want to be. And I know that sounds trite, but I, I don't know how else to say it other than, guys, you have choices. And so just take the time and figure out what gets you pumped and what you want to do every day, number one. Number two, it comes with a real burning desire to be the best. And, and, and if I get older and make more money and, and, and can retire, I want to spend millions of dollars in research. That would be my dream second job is to build a, re- a, a competitive, not even a competitive, just another Pew research. But I'd want to do research in a whole bunch of different areas. And one of them is this idea of how people aren't competitive and how that affects them in the workplace. Because competition to me isn't necessarily the idea that I've got to beat somebody or I've got to be aggressive. Competition to me is says, I'm uncomfortable staying where I am. I want to push to get better, to move, to grow, to advance. And by default, that's competition because I'm going to pass other people. I know people, and there's always one particular person that always comes to mind. I love it that she's great, but she's in a sales position. She's always saying, I'm just, competition doesn't motivate me. Look, I don't really care, but you gotta, you gotta figure out what's going to get you to get to the next level and move and do more than you're doing today. And if you can't compete with yourself for yourself, nothing else is going to change. And the reason this is important, and the last thing I want people to understand is I want that competition to be around growth, right? And that growth comes from a willingness to learn, to improve, to get better, to expand your knowledge, to do something better, to apply lessons more accurately, more efficiently. That's what this is all about. Just wanting to get better. I call it being a one percenter. Look, I know this, I'm on a, a ramp, but roll with me. Look, everybody talks about being the best. No, fuck the best. You don't get to be the best. And everybody talks about hustle and grind and the way to success is to work your ass off. Yeah, it is, but that is really not about hustle and grind. There is one real surefire way to be successful. One. And that's being better than most people. So be a one percenter. And what a one percenter is, is you are better than 99 out of 100 people. That's it. If you can be better than 99 out of 100 people, most of the time, you're going to be the best. How many times are you in a room with more than 100 people, right? How many times do you interview where they actually meet 100 applicants, right? If you're a, I'm a, a salesperson, there are 14 million salespeople in America. If you're a one percenter, that means you're one in 140,000. You can do that. But that means if you're one of the best, one of that 140,000, 99% of the time when you apply for a job, you're going to be the best. 
And if you're the best, you will be successful. That's all that matters. So go be the best. Go be one out of 100. Keenan, that may be one of the best rants I've had on the show. So thank you for that. Hey, so as you were speaking there and talking about this idea of, of motivation, or not motivation, I'm sorry, competitiveness, and that people aren't competitive enough in the workplace, it reminded me of a quote that's been sticking with me for the last couple of weeks from Rosa Luxemburg. It says, those who don't move do not notice their chains. And it just sits with me so much because, Great. yeah, people just, they get complacent so much. And, and as you said, just be better than one more person and then 10 people and then 100 people. And all of a sudden you are now working and acting and living on another level that people can't touch yes. you. Yes. Yes. Look, there's only one. Here's the problem. There's, there's this middle ground, right? That no one talks about, right? Lindsey Vaughn. There's only one Lindsey Vaughn. There's only one Tiger Woods. There's only one um, Michael Phelps, right? There's only one LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Start, you, you can't be them, right? And if you are good for you, but you can't be them. There's only one Neil Rackham, right? There's only one Jill Conrad. I love Jill. So stop trying. But you can be one of 140,000. Hell yeah. It still takes work, but you can do that. And if you're one out of 140,000 out of 14 million, you are going to be successful. It's absolutely for sure. End of discussion. All right. It's a fact. So, so let, let's flip that then. What do you think, Keenan, is the biggest thing that holds salespeople back? Oh, boy, it's psychology now, man. Um, I, I, I don't know. I could I could postulate. I think, I think in many cases, people don't... Uh, Okay, I've said, gone on the record and said this before, and it's not just salespeople. I think most people don't get into something because it's what they absolutely love. They or they have a natural propensity for it. They get into it because they're good enough to do it, and they like it enough, right? So it's it's if someone came to me and said, "You want to shovel shit?" and I'm the greatest shit shovel in the world. No, I hate shoveling shit, so it's not going to happen. But if someone had come to me and said, do you want to, I don't know, I got to make up something, uh, uh, be a coach. Okay. Well, I like, but anyway, I'll go with it. Go be a coach. I like coaching enough and it paid good money. So I'll do it. But as I got into it, I realized I hate, I don't like coaching. I don't dislike it, but I don't like it. So I'm just going to do enough to keep it going. I do it well enough. I like it enough. So I'll keep going. But then what happens is with the money I take, I build what I call the prison. And, and one little brick at a time, I buy a house, it's, I buy a big house, I have a kid, I buy a couple of cars, I go on a couple of vacations, I don't save enough money. And one brick at a time, I all of a sudden have this wall around me and I can't now switch. I can't go do what I really want to do. I can't go do what I'm really, really good at because the income hit or the cost to me financially is too big. So I just stay where I am. I think that goes back to the quote I was just talking about. Those who don't move do not notice their chains. Building that prison uh, just takes away all your ability to move. Keenan, one of the reasons yes. why I started Sales Sooners and started this movement that I've got going is the idea of location independence. I don't want to be stuck in one spot. I want to be able to move freely, and and I don't want to say yes sir to assholes my entire life, right? So uh, it's one of my biggest reasons. Uh, you nailed it. Yeah. So, Keenan, we're going to take a quick break. By the way, real quick, you Go know, ahead. you know, real quick, you know, this this scientific study that, well, with elephants to prove that, right? Do you know that when they put an elephant in a um, uh, in a chain that I don't know the time frame, so I'll screw it up, but they put him in a chain for six months or a year or a month or a week or whatever, and he um he realized he can't pull it off, so then all they need is a, a small rope or a string, and he doesn't pull it. 
Unreal. Unreal. I, hey, I believe it. Keenan, I want to I want to ask you this. And like I said, I, I feel like I've got a pretty good pulse uh, you know, from my audience. And one of the things I hear from them quite a bit saying is, uh, hey, Jim, these are great, successful people that you have. That's why you got them on the show. But sometimes I just want to hear about a time that they haven't been as successful. So if we look at the failure side of things, is there a time in your career where you know things just absolutely went awry? Dude, I failed so many times in my life. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So let me start with this. And I wish I could say it, even though I'm feeling it. I know I read it somewhere and someone's talked about, oh, I think Mike Ditka said it. Look, it's not failure until you until you quit or you stop trying. Bottom line. So I look at it as, as failure in life, right? So I haven't failed in life until I'm in the ground. Now, as far as those individual failures, yes, I failed in high school. I graduated with like a 1.6 in high school. I graduated at the bottom of my class. I barely got out. It took me five years. I barely got out. I failed in athletics. I was a really good athlete. Now, was I ever going to be a professional athlete? Probably not. And if I did make it, it would have been one short-lived and, and uh, you know, and, and never would have went there. I know that. But I was a good athlete. I was one in a hundred as athletes are concerned. You need to be one in a thousand to be a professional. And so I could have gone to a, a D2 school on scholarship for football. Easily could have gone, I mean, easily D2. Could have gone D1 at a shitty school, at a medium or shitty school had I actually worked at it, had I actually trained, had I actually put the effort in. I was a great track athlete. I didn't train at all. I just walked on, ran, and got off and went home. So I failed there. I failed in three different businesses. I went from being loaded to broke to loaded to broke. I can't tell you, at least three times. When I say broke, I mean like if I don't get a job after this business failed in the next you know, week, I'm not going to be able to make my bills and I'm going to have to use credit cards to get me through the next set of bills. So, oh yeah, dude, I, I failed. My marriage failed. I, I waited till I was 37 and I wanted to be married the rest of my life. And I would have kept the state in that marriage, but it failed. And you know, that's different than business. But as far as I'm concerned, that was not okay. And I was devastated that the marriage didn't last. Um, I have not failed in being a a parent. That's one place I refuse to fail. Micro, I do things I wish I didn't do when I yell at my kid when I shouldn't and I should have made this decision. But collectively, that's a, that's a place I can't fail. Like I refuse to fail there. But outside of that, I fail all the time. My life is filled with failures. And there's times, let me let everybody hear this loud and clear. There have been times where I've had to sit and fight back the feeling that because I failed, I'm a failure. And, I, and, and that is hard sometimes. And sometimes you, I'm a half a thread away from accepting that. But you battle back and you say, no, okay, that failed. I'm broke. This sucks. I'm alone, but I'm still ticking and I still got all my talents and I still got everything I learned from those experiences. So take failure is the one thing that you can actually take more from when you leave than when you came in. Think about it. It's one of the few, th few things in life that you can actually leave with more than you came in when you fail. Failure, if you do it right. Keenan, I, I just love how real you are and how transparent you are. Thank you so much for sharing that. You actually, uh, you, you hit on something for me that was quite personal. You, had, you made this concept of you were on the edge of saying that you were a failure because of the things that had failed. I, you know, a few years ago, I had raised a million dollars in venture capital. And when I ran that company into the ground, it, it did some bad things in my head. And I kept saying, Jim Brown is a failure. I, I have been there. And you, like I said, you, you struck a personal chord with that. So, wow. Wow, wow.
Keenan and I absolutely hate to, to stop our conversation short, but I got to take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Keenan, are you ready for the money round? I am ready, baby. How much do I win? Well, we'll see. You got to get to the end first. So here we go. What's the one thing? That wasn't very motivated. <laughs> <laughs> What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Insecurity. Insecurity. I'm going to ask you to expand upon that a little bit. I just grew up insecure. Whether I, I, look, I was adopted in 1968 by a white family. I I was I was a really good athlete, but I, I was a little I was really strong personality, so not everybody liked me. Uh, I didn't I was a late bloomer, so I didn't bloom until I was uh, oldest. So girls didn't like me until I was about high school, late high school, early college. Um, my teachers, most of my teachers hated me. They thought I was obnoxious, even though I was I knew I was really smart. I knew stuff, but so I, I just I just was really insecure. So I, I got sort of a chip on my shoulder or this idea that said I'll prove them all wrong. Um, and so that insecurity got me to a place where I was just like, don't tell me I can't do something or don't tell me I'm good and I'll prove you prove you wrong. Right on, right on. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spit? I'm sorry, I'm actually gonna edit that out. Here we go, 33.30. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22-year-old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Nothing. That's the one thing I wouldn't tell. I get this question all the time. And and maybe I should try harder, but there's nothing I would go back and tell my 22-year-old self. My path here was exactly what it needed to be with all the failures and all the successes and everything. I mean, if, if I was forced with a gun to my head, I would either say, you're going to be okay or um, uh, stop being so insecure and, and, and slow down. I'll say that. Slow down. There slow we go. There down. We but go. I, I even learned that. I learned that anyways, but I'll go with that. Slow down. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Um, God, that's a tough... I would say I love to win. It's funny. When I'm, when I'm in the game, when I'm in the game, it's the hate to lose that drives me. Once I've won the game, it's I love to win that I bask in. There we go. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Execution by Larry Bossy and Ram Sharon. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Keenan's suggestion of execution, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Keenan, what's something you believe in that nearly no one agrees with you on? That people are genuinely good Wow. What do you mean by that? I, I love people. I have a passion for people. I, I really do. But I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that people are not genuinely driven. 
uh, are generally good. It's an age-old debate, right? I've heard high schools do that. Are people generally good? Are they generally bad? And I don't think it's that black and white, but no, I don't think people are generally good. I think people are generally self-serving. And if being good serves them, they will be good. If being bad serves them, they will be bad. And I, so I, I just don't, I think most people like to think we're good, good people, like people are good, but I don't think so at all. I think people are self-serving. And when they send money over to Africa, they're doing it. It makes them feel good. They're reacting to their own selfish needs. I didn't like seeing that picture. I don't like feeling that there are people suffering. So they do it because it, it, they're trying to rid themselves of, of a great feeling, a sense of empathy, but that doesn't feel good to them. But generally speaking, no, people will fuck you in a heartbeat, not even bat an eyelash if it serves them. That's real. That's real. But with that said, I love people. I have no negative view of the word. I, I'm the guy that like I'm the guy that that gives money to the people on the street. And my daughter's like, why are you doing that? He should go get a job. I'm like, you don't know his situation. You have no idea what just happened. Who are you? You don't have a job. Give him a dollar. So. Right? So, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a liberal. I'm a very giving person. But I, I just don't believe generally speaking, people are good by nature. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Commit to yourself. Stop. I put this out the other day on one of my Instagrams. Uh, stop fucking around. Just, just stop fucking around. Okay. You have one life, right? You have like 400 trillion to one or 40 trillion to one. The fact you're even freaking born. The fact that you're born in the United States is even crazier. The fact that if you were born in the United States and you weren't born and you were born to a middle-class life, get cut it out, get committed to yourself. Stop fucking around. Stop wasting time. If you're in sales, love it. If you don't love it, get out. If you do love it, become the absolute best fucking salesperson you could be. And then if you become a sales leader, become the best sales leader, giver, developer of person you can be. It's been every day building on yourself, continuous learning, continuous growth, continuous personal development. Don't stop. That's what I say. Just don't stop because you wait. If you stop, you're wasting it, wasting it. Kanan, you got me feeling this energy. I think we could go for another hour if if, uh, if we both had the time, but I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Uh, just You can run a Google search under Jim Keenan. I want to make it Keenan, but it's, I still don't rank as high under Keenan. It's, it's Google search under Jim Keenan. You'll find my Twitter, my LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find our, blo- our website, which is a sales guy. Uh, go to Instagram. I'm starting to do a lot more on Instagram. So go there under Jim Keenan. I'm doing a lot of stories on how to sell and how to move on. And so, yes, that's how any one of those. I will link to all those in the show notes. But Keenan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been absolutely amazing. Awesome, man. I enjoyed it. You're, you're a fantastic host. It was great. Holy cow. If you didn't get jazzed up by that, you might want to check your pulse and make sure you're still alive. I've seen Keenan at several industry events, but this was the longest one-on-one session I've had with him, and my goodness, was it awesome. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, it's not about learning. It's about applying what you love and who you are to what you do. While you need to understand your product, it's more important to know how to sell than it is to know all the technical features and benefits of your offering. Comparing sales to fitness, you can educate yourself all you want about what it takes to get a perfect six-pack, but none of that matters until you start applying that knowledge. Application and execution are the most important part of the puzzle. Number two, be you. It's okay to be inspired by successful salespeople. That likely is why so many people listen to this show, but at the end of the day, you have to be you. Everyone is different, and what works for one person might not have the same impact on someone else. 
So whatever gives you energy, whatever makes you passionate, whatever gets you going in the morning, use that to build the you that you want to be. You have the power to make the choices that will empower you in the long run. So choose to be you from the start and you won't let yourself down. Number three, compete with yourself first. Success in sales comes from a burning desire to be the best. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean by default you have to aggressively beat other people. It just means that you are uncomfortable staying with where you are. And as a result, you put in the work it takes to push yourself in order to move, grow, and advance. And that has to come from within or nothing is going to change. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.